Man, you may be seated at this time. If you follow me at this Lord, we'll go to Children's Church. Open up your Bibles this morning to the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts 27. Let me make mention of it now before I forget. Um, Of course, we will be observing the Lord's Supper after the sermon this morning. Whenever we do that, we do take up a benevolence offering. And I think it's appropriate today to redirect those benevolent offerings today towards hurricane relief. Uh, And those funds will be used either in our own area or we will send them down to Cape Coral so that Grace Baptist Church can uh, benefit from them in helping people down in Lee County. So if you, can, um, if you would like to participate in that, there's a blue envelope should be near you. You could drop it off in the house in the hallway, and uh, we will be glad to redirect those funds to help those people in need, whether locally or down through Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, as they help out many, many people down there. Let's ask God's help once again. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be faithful and true to what your word declares and prepare our hearts this morning to observe communion as you have commanded. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me much strength this morning. And Lord, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago when we were last together, uh, we saw that Paul had boarded a ship on his way to Rome. He is a prisoner But as a Roman citizen, he has made an appeal to Caesar. So he was being sent to Caesar. However, on the way, the ship he was on encountered some very fierce storms and a raging sea. They had much trouble as they are sailing the Mediterranean Sea towards Italy. On board with Paul at this time is 276 persons. Some of them are prisoners like himself And others are Roman soldiers, and others are just sailors that belong to that shipping vessel, which was a grain transport from Egypt um, to Rome. And we'll see on this, we saw last time that on this journey, in the middle of a storm, an angel comes to Paul and tells him specifically that none of the people that were with him would die, and that he would indeed make it to Rome. Of course, this was coming at a time where they thought they were all going to die and they were going to have a fierce shipwreck and lose their lives at sea. But God's promise came to Paul to assure him that that would not happen. Not only would he be spared, but all the people in his boat would be spared. And Paul relayed this information to them. And we saw last time how to look at God's promises how to accurately interpret them and to use them in our life and to avoid a coffee cup Christianity type of living. We saw that the promises of God are rooted in the attributes of God, and that's where we must go to for our foundation so that we could be rightly encouraged in the right moments. Well, let's continue on in our adventure here in Acts 27, and we're going to begin in verse 27. Paul had told them, we're not going to die, but we will lose the ship. A shipwreck is coming. That's the promise. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, Luke writes, 
as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. First of all, the Adriatic Sea is not the Adriatic Sea that we know of today. The Adriatic Sea is the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean. It was a sea of Adria that is literally in the Greek how it's spelled. So they're still in the Mediterranean, not in what we know as the Adriatic Sea. And they're nearing land. The sailors, who were very experienced sailors, traveling this route often, even though they're greatly in much fear, they suspect that they're getting close to land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. So now it's 14 days have gone by. Just think about that. You all encountered one night of a hurricane force winds in your home. But 14 nights on the open sea, that is very stressful and strenuous. One night of worry is enough. You can imagine the weariness of those who are on board. But there's some excitement because they realize that land is close. But that excitement soon turns to fear. Because if land is close, they have no way to slow down, no way to stop. They can't see where they're going. And they are going to run on the rocks, and they fear that they will all die. So they take a sounding. A sounding is, was used to measure the depth of the ocean. And what they would do in this day is they would have a very long rope with a metal uh, piece on the bottom. And they would lower the rope down until it hit the bottom of the ocean floor. And so that's how they knew how deep the waters were. And they were trying to see how close they were to land because the, the, the more shallow that turned out to be, the closer they knew they were. And the first reading was about 20 fathoms or 120 feet deep. The second sounding, a little bit later on, they let down the uh, rope again, and it was 15 fathoms or 90 feet deep. So they know they're getting closer because the depths are getting shallower, and they're getting more nervous. So what do they do? They let down four anchors. And what's the point of that? The point of that is to slow down the ship, to stop the ship from going any further Because they don't want to crash on a rocky coast. And they prayed for day to come. They let down the anchors and prayed for day to come. They have no idea what else to do. They've come to the end of their rope, literally. They don't know what else to do. This is, you know, I I heard someone say this is almost the equivalent of a doctor saying, take two aspirin, call me in the morning. You know, we, we don't know what else to do. Try this. Well, they're trying this. Four anchors, pray for daylight to come because you don't want to shipwreck at night in the darkness of the sea. So these experienced sailors, they've seen a lot, but this was more than they've ever seen before. Look at verse 30. As the sailors were seeking to escape the ship, this is interesting, They had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. So some of these sailors aren't going to wait until daytime. So what do they do? They lower the boat, not the ship that they're on, but think of it like a lifeboat, like an escape vessel, 
a little boat that's attached to the side of the boat. So while they're lowering the anchors, some of them are lowering the boat so they can get out and get away from the ship. They're not going to shipwreck. They don't want to shipwreck and go down with everyone else. And they're sneaky under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow. They're lowering the ship so that no one else sees so they can all be rescued and go to safety and leave everyone else behind. Look at verse 31. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, and Paul knows what's going on. He sees what they're doing. And he says to the centurion, whose name is Julius, if you remember, and his soldiers with him, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, of course, Paul is talking of a physical salvation, not a spiritual salvation like going to heaven. You cannot be saved. Remember what the promise was. We're not going to die. We're all going to go to Rome, right? But we must run aground on some island. We will shipwreck. But none of us are going to die. But, he says, if these guys get off the boat, there's no more promise for you to live. There's no more promise of rescue for you if these guys get out. These guys are trying to be slick. They're trying to escape. They're trying to leave us behind. What a remarkable statement by Paul. What in the world does this mean? I mean, God has already promised safety for everyone on board. How can Paul say that they're going to die if these guys get off the boat? Well, what we see here is a very fascinating truth that we see displayed throughout the scriptures. What we see is simply this. God is promising to rescue Paul. God wants Paul to go to Rome. And as a result of Paul being on that boat, God will have mercy for the people who are with Paul. Every single person would make it. That's a promise from God. God isn't done with Paul. Paul's going to go to Rome. He's going to see Caesar. He's going to preach the gospel to many over there. But who are the rest of these guys on the boat with Paul? They're scoundrels. They're thieves, prisoners, Roman soldiers, dirty, rotten sailor, sailors. Have you ever met a sailor before? Sorry if you're a sailor in here. <laughs> These guys are not like moral people. They're not well-behaved people. I'm thinking of all these guys, not just the sailors, right? Some of these sailors are trying to leave and leave everyone else behind. It just tells you, shows, shows you some of their character, they don't deserve to live and have grace from God. They, there's no reason or obligation from God to rescue them from any kind of shipwreck or danger they must have. But here's the point. Why is God going to spare the lives of these men? Because they are with Paul. And if something happens to them, it also happens to Paul. So God makes a promise that as long as they're with Paul, they would all be saved. And not a single one of them will be harmed. But if some of them leave and are no longer with Paul, and one of them dies on that little lifeboat out to sea, then God's promise becomes null and void, doesn't it? Because God promised that not a single one of them would die. 
But if one of them dies, then what does that say about God's promise? So Paul goes up to the centurion and says, if you let these guys leave, there's no promise for you to be rescued. There's no promise for you to survive. The only way you're going to survive this is if we all stay together on this ship. Because God's not going to break his promise and let one of these men die out and see. That puts the centurion and the other soldiers in danger. Because there's no longer protection from God if they get off, if they let these other guys get off the boat. What we see here throughout the scriptures is this principle. Is God sparing the life or showing grace to people for the sake of somebody else? We see this. It's a gospel promise and principle throughout the scriptures. For example, if you would think with me back to the book of Genesis, you have Abraham speaking to the Lord. And he's looking at God about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember what Abraham says to God? If there are 50 righteous people, will you destroy the city? And God says, for 50 righteous, I will not destroy the city. And Abraham goes, what about 40? And he goes on down, 30, 20, right? How about five righteous people? God, will you destroy the city if there's five righteous people? I won't destroy the city if there's five righteous people. He finally says to Abraham, and he says, won't the judge of all the earth do what's right? The point there is that God would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of his elect and righteous in that city. One of the greatest blessings that lost people have are God's people all around them. Think about that. This is what Paul is trying to say. God's promise will be fulfilled, but you all have to be with me. There's no promise that you're going to live apart from me. Think of to another story in the, New Test- in the Old Testament of King David. When King David ascends to the throne, remember David had a best friend and his name is Jonathan. And once David comes to the throne, he remembers a promise that he made to his best friend, Jonathan, who happened to be the son of his enemy, King Saul. King Saul wanted him dead. Jonathan was his best friend. Jonathan dies and makes a covenant with David saying, will you please spare my family? Will you show kindness to my family after I'm gone? And David says he would. When David ascends to the throne, he asks his people, is there anyone from King Saul's family that's still alive? And they discover one guy, a cripple, a lame man. His name is Mephibosheth. And David says, bring him to me. Now, Mephibosheth was probably scared to death because he is... He could claim rightful access to the throne, being the grandson of King Saul. But once he goes into David's presence, he's probably thinking, David's going to kill me, so I, none of my family can usurp him. But instead, what does David do? David has no obligation to show this man mercy, no obligation to show him grace or to spare his life. But he looks at Mephibosheth, And he says, for the sake of your father, Jonathan. 
I will show kindness to you in your house. And he does not destroy Mephibosheth. In fact, even greater than that, Mephibosheth, who was a cripple, under the command and orders of King David, ordered that he be brought to the king's table to eat every day. You see, this is what God does for his enemies. Mephibosheth was one of David's enemies. He showed no kindness to David, but David showed kindness to Mephibosheth for the sake of Jonathan. Not because Mephibosheth was all that. Not because Mephibosheth had deserved it, but because David had made a promise to his father, he is fulfilling that promise here. And folks, this is what God does for us. Do you think God loves you because you're all special? Because you're amazing? Because you have it all together? Because he can't do life without you? No. Why does God love us the way he does? Why does God keep his promises to the way for us? I don't know about you, but I've been a Christian since I've been eight years old. And I have failed God many, 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 many times. I have fallen short many, many, many times since I've been eight years old. I have forgotten God. I have not lived up to my end of the bargain. And I think you're all on the same page with me, right? But yet, does God give up on me? No, he doesn't. Why? For the sake of Christ. Why? Because God the Father has made an eternal covenant with God the Son that he would give them a people, that he would give them a bride, that he would give them a, re- a people to be redeemed for his glory. And not a single one of them can be lost. The reason God has any mercy on you or me is for the sake of Jesus. Jesus who took our punishment. Jesus who took our wrath. Jesus who perfectly and completely satisfied every requirement that God has ever laid down for us. And God was perfectly And completely pleased in Christ on our behalf. So that when we place our faith in Jesus, we are declared to be righteous. And for God to give up on us would be for God to give up on Jesus. And so for Christ's sake, we can know that God will never leave us. For Christ's sake, we know that God will never give up on us. For Christ's sake, we know that we'll be saved to the end. That we will persevere even though we fall short. Even though we feel and are unfaithful, God remains faithful. Why? Because you earned it or deserved it? No, because Jesus has. And you're one of Jesus' people. And as long as you are in Christ, God can never forsake you. Ever. Essentially, we see this principle throughout the scriptures that God has mercy on people for the sake of another. There's many other examples we can give. But in Sodom and Gomorrah, David and Mephibosheth, and our lives, well, as well, God shows us mercy for Christ's sake. Paul knows this. Paul knows that the reason God is sparing this men, these men, are because he's on the boat with them. And it's for 
his sake that they live. Because Paul is giving a promise that will glorify God once it's fulfilled. Remember, these are the same people that didn't believe Paul just a few days earlier. Paul said, we shouldn't set sail. It's too windy. There's a storm coming. And they said, ah, we're going to go. And they should have listened to Paul. God's already being glorified through Paul's word in him. And now God will be glorified again when not a single one of these men die. Why? Because God has kept his promise through Paul. God has a purpose through Paul. Paul will get to Rome and to prove that he's the God of this world and to show these men his glory and might, he will save all of these scoundrels alive. But they're because they're with, their, they're with Paul. So Paul goes to the centurion and says, hey, those guys, you may not know it, but they're planning an evacuation. And if they get off the boat, none of you are promised rescue. Why? Because if one of them dies, God's not going to go back on his word. God's promise is, you're with me, you live. They're no longer with me, they die. Guess what? You're in trouble. So what, are the, what is the Roman soldier Julius and the centurion going to do? They didn't believe Paul the first time. Will they believe him now? Look at verse 32. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. They go over where the guys are lowering it sneakily, and they cut the ropes. The boat falls in, and no one gets on it. And then you think, what a foolish thing to do, right? I mean, what if we need that boat later? But here's the thing. You don't need that boat later. Why? God's already promised you're not going to die, and God's already promised that you will have a shipwreck. So just trust God anyway. So they believed Paul. Then once everyone settled down and the boat was floating off into sea in the darkness of the night, as day was about to dawn, verse 33, Paul urged them all to take food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. They're tired. They're hungry. It's been a stressful two weeks, not knowing whether they were going to die this minute or not. The sea has tossed them to and fro. They can't eat. They're sick to their stomachs. But Paul knows the remedy. And the remedy is what? Eat. <laughs> Paul, have you been on the same boat we have been? Is your stomach not in knots and upside down and inside out? Eat. Yeah. Eat. Why? Because you need it. You need strength. And you need to eat and remember the promise of God. Perhaps some of you feel like that in here today. They first started telling us about this hurricane almost two weeks ago. Where is it going to go? And I, don't know, I, I don't even want to eat spaghetti for the next five years. I don't know if, about you. <laughs> spaghetti models are... I've heard too much about that lately. And you're wondering over that time period, is it coming here? What will happen if it does? Is it going to hit the panhandle? 
No, it's going to hit Tampa Bay. No, it's going to hit Venice. No, it's going to hit Cape Coral. Where's it going to go? Two weeks of wondering and checking our phones. And maybe I was the only one doing that. Well, I have a house to come home to. Well, I lose my pets, my family, my friends. Stress and worry and anxiety. They have a way of wrecking us, don't they? They have a way of destroying us. Worry, worry, worry. Lori and I had planned this trip a long time ago. And leading up to the days, we were thinking, do we go? Do we not go? Should we go? Shouldn't we go? What if it comes here? Then we're not here. Almost like, like I could do anything about it. See, that's what worry does. Worry puts you in the place of God. Worry is a form of atheism where you deny who God is and what he can do and you trust in yourself and what you can have under your control and figure things out your own way. And then, of course, we, you know, every day was a little bit different. Monday morning, I take out my phone on the cruise ship. You know, it's possible Cat 5 coming to Annemarie Island, Sarasota. Start sending out emails and texting people. And finally, Dave Perry texts me back and he says, will you shut up and put your phone down? <laughs> You're on vacation. I just can't. It's helping me stay sane, I told him. What about my kids? What about my church? Stress, stress, worry, anxiety. Oh, and the guilt I felt. The guilt I felt. You guys are, you know, running the Publix before it closes. No power to cook your food, and I'm going to an all-you-can-eat buffet every day. (laughs) You guys are worried about water getting in your homes, and I'm sitting by the pool. I'm on the beach in Mexico. No power, plenty of power on the boat. No water. Plenty of water, plenty to drink. Entertainment? You know, the, the worst things my kid told me that happened is they lost the Wi-Fi for 24 hours. <laughs> well, I had all the entertainment on the boat I had. My gorgeous wife on my side, no work, all play. It was an exhausting week of thinking and, <laughs> and planning and emailing and sending videos. And I'm sure you saw all that. And even though I looked all cool, calm, and collected on the video, trust me, I wasn't. I was worried about all you. The Lord was testing my faith, and I failed. I did. I worried. I didn't trust God as I ought to have trusted God. Do I trust God? Do I believe God? Do I believe what I just preached last week? The attributes of God? I had some good books to read. I had some old dead guys by my side to help me straighten things out. Those are books, if you don't know what I'm talking about. I didn't bring dead guys with me on the boat. <laughs> you know, reading Thomas Watson and reading about Richard Sibbs and, oh, that helped relax me and calm me. And, hmm. and I'm coming back exhausted. I'm tired. Now I need another vacation. Is that okay if I've gone this next two weeks? I need, I need another vacation. There's no storm now. Um, Maybe you feel like that too. I I can't be the only one, right? 
I mean, what's, what's the remedy for this? I mean, now that it's all over and we escaped the worst of it, we look back and say, okay, thank you, God. But could we still have said thank you, God, if we did get what Lee County got? That's question we must ask ourselves because although we have been very blessed over the last 103 years not to have a major hurricane hit us in that way there's no promise that it won't don't believe any voodoo voodoo about Indian burial grounds our sovereign God is the one who controls that so what do we do look at verse 34 Therefore, I urge you to take some food. I urge you to take some food, he says. For it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it and began to eat. Two weeks without food, what does he do? He eats. Makes sense. And he trusts the promises of God. Of God. He reminds the men again who are not believers there's nothing going to happen to you. Not a hair of your head will perish. Take, eat. You're not going to perish. That's Paul's message. Take and eat. Restore yourself physically. You're not going to perish. Yet we're going to be shipwrecked, but we're all going to make it. And he breaks the bread and Paul leads by example. He's the first one to eat. And he thanks God in the presence of all. He broke it and he filled himself. So what do they do? Verse 36, they then all were encouraged and they ate some food themselves. We were, in 200 and, we were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. It's amazing. When we had eaten enough, we threw the wheat into the sea. Remember, this is the main cargo of the ship. This is the livelihood of the captain. We're going to lose everything, but we're going to save our lives. God's going to save our lives. We don't need this anymore. It's all going to be gone anyway. Let's throw it out into the sea. Of course, I had prepared this message before we had even left. And by God's providence, it happens to be the day we observe the Lord's Supper so I knew that in my mind already. It was going to be the Lord's Supper Day. I'm reading this text with that in mind, and I can't not help but make the connection. Now, I'm not saying that Paul had the Lord's Supper on boat with these men. He didn't. He would never have had the Lord's Supper with unbelievers. He would never have done that. But the principles here and the connection, we cannot miss. In the middle of the stress of this week, I want us all to relax. I want us all to understand the blessings that we have, who God is, and to do what God has instructed us to do. And what is that? 
As Paul on this ship was encouraging the men to eat this meal, for they were physically weak. God has given us a meal who are spiritually weak to encourage us and to fill us and to edify us as we go through life. And this is what the Lord's table is all about. It's not by accident that this is today. It's not by accident we're preaching this verse. I'm telling you as your pastor that I am spiritually dired this week. And I'm so grateful for the blessing and gift of the Lord's table. And I think we overlook the blessing and the gift the Lord's table is for us. The Lord's table is not merely a memorial where we remember what Jesus did. Of course we do. That's the point of it. The Lord's table is a command of God for us to be fed spiritually. It is what is called to be one of the means of grace. It is how God strengthens your faith. It is how God imparts grace to you so that you could have the faith that you need today and tomorrow. Why? Because he fills you with Christ. These symbolic bread and cup that we drink today reminds us of the Lord, but there is something special about it. It is the presence of Christ with us, not physically, but spiritually. There's a spiritual presence of Christ. There's a communion. That's why they call it communion. A fellowship. So Paul encourages the Corinthians that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, that we have communion with him, we have fellowship with him. It is a gift of God given to us as a way to strengthen us. Essentially what I'm saying to you today is you're worried, you've been in fear, take, eat, you will not perish. We need that reminder today. All of us could have lost our lives this past week if it, things went the wrong way. And even if we had lost all of our lives, we do not perish forever. We value our lives too much. And if that, in a sense, like there's no eternity like, this life is all there is. Christians, we need not fear death. The Lord's Supper is a reminder for us to strengthen us that although we physically die, this is not the end. That there is something way more important about who we are. And it's who we are in the inside. It's our spirits. It's our souls. And that's what lives forever. And nothing can change that. The body they may kill, Luther wrote. God's word abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So all of us have handled the events of this week differently. All of us are probably more exhausted than others. Others have lost more than others and still have no power, probably for days or weeks to come. We must persevere in the strength of Christ and the way he has given us this means of grace, one is to gather on the Lord's day, which we have. Sunday is a gift to you. This gathering is a gift from God to you to feed you with his word. 
to praise him with other believers, to pray together, to remind ourselves that we must rest, that we must rest in him. This is our Sabbath, to trust God and realize I am not God. The only thing we can do is to obey him. And what is that? Take, eat, you will not perish. The worst thing that can happen to you this week is not to die or to lose your home. The worst thing to happen to you would be to die without Christ. This is what the Bible says. There's a death and everyone has that. But in Revelation, we're told there's a second death. That's eternal death. Everyone dies in this life. It's not a tragedy to die once. It's a tragedy to die twice. For the second death, God casts all evildoers and all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life into hell. That's the worst thing. But, Christian, if you are in Christ, you have this assurance that nothing can deter that from happening. No hurricane, no evil government, nothing that could happen to you. No loss of income, nothing. So if all things disappear today, let goods and kindred go. And this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's word abides still. And what does God's word tell us? To take, eat, you will not perish. Dan, you don't know the sins I've committed. You don't know the sins I feel so guilty about. Take, eat, you will not perish. And in doing so, repent and turn to Christ. We need not fear death, church. We need to be encouraged and reminded of the promises of God and who he is. And when our faith is weak, when our Patience is tested. We need to focus on how God has given us the means to strengthen us by his grace. Grace upon grace. The three ways he does that is through the word. Through the sacraments or ordinances, which is Lord's Supper and prayer. And, uh, sorry, Lord's Supper and baptism. And thirdly, through prayer. This is gift of God to us today. I don't know about you, but I need it. I need God to strengthen my faith today. Take, eat, you will not perish. Those words meant something different on that ship to those men. I think we could take those words and be reminded of the importance of the Lord's table this morning. Take, Eat, you will not perish. This is the promise that Christ has given to us. He says in Luke 13, 3, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This Lord's table is for believers only. You first must repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are not to partake of this unless you are a Christian. And you will perish unless you repent and be saved. By God's grace, become born again 
But if you have been born again, if you have repented, if you are in Christ, you never need perishing. You never need to fear perishing. This is what John wrote in John 3.16, a verse we all love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus says in John 10, 29, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No perishing for God's people. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. It is this Lord's table that reminds us that our Lord Jesus suffered, bled for us. He's our substitute. He took our wrath. He paid for our sins in full. And because he did, because his body was broken and his blood was spilled, we never need to fear perishing. This is the faith. This is the grace we need to believe, to strengthen us today. That no matter what happens to us this next week or the week after, take, eat, you will not perish. The worst thing that can happen to me is not losing everything, not even losing my life. Because if I am in Jesus Christ, I will have it all and I will never perish because he is my faithful shepherd. So if you're a Christian today, I invite you to partake with us the Lord's Supper, to strengthen your faith, to be fed with the presence of Christ, to have communion with him fellowship with him have your faith renewed restored repent of sins that you've hung on to maybe repent of the worry you've had this week like like i have to repent of that worry and fear of not being in control and being here to take care of things trust in god the deacons would join me up front as they come let me just read the passage from luke 22 As Jesus observes the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper with them. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I will tell you from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is God's gift of grace to you, church. We need it. If you're a believer, if you've been baptized, we invite you to partake with us and know that because you are in Christ, because what Jesus has accomplished, you will never, never perish. Holy Spirit, help us today to fulfill the commands of God and remembering this Lord's table, that we would come worthily, which means that we would repent of our sins and confess our sins, and to examine our hearts, knowing that we need much grace from you. And Lord, that you would strengthen our faith through this grace, 
through the simple, ordinary means of the Lord's table. Help us, God, to know your word, your promises, to know that no matter what happens to us, we will not perish. Strengthen our faith. Make this week much different than the last one. We give you all the praise and glory. Help us now as we remember the broken body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.